computers have become a disadvantage over the year. Because we have now so much computer time available. In, in, in my little phone there is more computer time than in the big computer we had in our office in the early 90s. And if you have no clear idea and you test it anyway, you can do over and over testing. Uh, within five minutes you can do long calculation. And, and you very quickly, very, very quickly end up into some kind of historical optimization thing instead of having a good idea. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Before we begin today's conversation, remember to keep two things in mind. All the discussion we'll have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their product before you make investment decisions. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Top Traders Unplugged, where today Alan Dunn and I are joined by Harold DeBoer, Managing Director at Transtrend, as part of our mini-series focusing on the one investment strategy that beat everything else in 2022, namely trend following and managed futures more broadly. First off, Hal, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really have been looking forward to our conversation. How are you doing? I hope you had a good start to the new year. We had a good start, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, and for hopefully some relaxed downtime over the holidays. Well, some, somehow uh, the flu decided that it was time for me. Ah, uh, sorry so, to hear So I have not done any uh, Christmas visits or whatsoever. No, okay, fair enough. Now, before we dive into all of the different topics we're going to discuss today, uh, I would like to set the stage for our conversation so that the audience knows a little bit about your firm's uh, background. So perhaps you could share a few highlights about what the type of strategies that you focus on and, and maybe where the business stands heading into 2023. Uh, Transcend, uh, we started off as a research project within a crane's trading firm, physical commodity trading. So if clearly a cultural background within that firm, the idea was that uh, there were funds making money in what they considered to be their markets. So they thought if these funds are making money in these futures markets, then we should do that ourselves. That uh, became a research project uh, in which uh, initially uh, the, the, the people behind it thought we would only trade commodity futures. Uh, but we decided to go into these dangerous things like financial markets and stock markets and currency markets as well. Uh, and soon found out that trend following was the best way to do it. And to do trend following really well, you have to do it in a diversified way. So not only in the commodity markets. So that's our background and that's what we are still doing. Fantastic. Good stuff. Now, um in our conversation today, Ella and I have created a long list of topics uh, that we often sort of get asked about uh, and that we find interesting, um, but maybe we won't have time to cover all of them, so we'll kind of pick and choose as we go along. But why don't you, Alan, kick it off with, uh, with the first topic that we 
wanted to speak about? Great. Thanks, uh, Niels. Uh, good afternoon, Harold. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You touched on how um, I guess you guys started off, you know, with a research mindset, l- looking at the markets. The first topic I wanted to kind of get into is the investment philosophy, which I guess was informed by by that research. Um, how, you know, at, at a high level, how would you uh, describe the investment philosophy of, of Transtrend? Yeah, we've, we've been discussing that a uh, lot of time because um, initially the whole idea was uh, we found out that the trend following way turned out to be the best way to do it. We also found out that all the conventions about trend following that were there in those years were the ones that should not be applied. So we had to be trend following without embracing the conventions. And I think that is generally true for any good investment that will continue to do well. Be careful that you don't embrace conventions. And it's something very typical with human beings that we so much like conventions. And if it's not the managers ourselves, it's of course also the allocators. It's not for nothing that that most allocators uh, allocate to traditional investments or investment styles that are highly correlated with it. They like to use consultants and consultants like to test with standards and the standards are always the conventions. And money is to be made by not sticking to the conventions, but by doing something different. And that's that's a constant challenge. The constant challenge over now more than 30 years is to beware that we don't become a new convention. And that's also something that has been hitting the industry many times, that the industry became became a new convention and then the CTA industry as a whole did not perform well. If there's no convention, we do well. So sorry to butt in here. I know Alan has a, a few other questions, but I'm just curious on that particular point. Can you give an example of what you saw back then? Because you've been there for you know for decades. What did you see back then? Trend followers do, and how did you want to make it different? I just want to understand that. Oh, there's many things. One of them, I, I know, we very soon found out that uh, one of these rules that you should always have a stop in. You should always have a stop in the market, and we soon found out that you should never use a stop, and we have never done it. And in the beginning, that was really uh, working against us by getting clients because clients heard, no, no, CTAs is about stops. So we once were at a conference and some people were talking and they didn't didn't realize that we could hear them. And they say, well, those two people are from Transcend. Yeah, they are good, said one of them. And the other one said, yes, but they don't use stops. That's bad. Yes, that's bad. And that's (laughs) typical how how it functions. And... (coughs) If you just look at the industry in those years, the 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 the, the first toppers, of course, that's probably uh, is of course the turtles, and the turtles became very successful, and that was of course the idea there was that they would all be doing the same thing. They have been trained the same thing, and they would become successful. Um, I still like the conversations of Jerry often in this program, and he is of course one of these original turtles, and his his track record is great. Who also has a great track record is Eckert who's, of course, one of the ones teaching the Sturtles. And they're doing completely different things. And they're both doing well. Um, if you look at the years, the first years at CTAs as a, as a group did very well, was in 2001, 2002, when there was this uh, internet bubble collapsing and the CTAs did very, very well. But the Turtles weren't the best performing on those. 
in those years. And even a few of those turtles uh, didn't survive that period. I think John Henry wasn't a turtle, but was also in that area and that kind of uh, CTA. Didn't survive that area, had been very successful before that. If all that money that had been in trend-following CTAs in those years would have been so very close to the turtle strategy, do you believe it would have been doing, doing well? Well, some of them are still doing well, I guess. Uh, now, if so much money is really doing exactly the same thing, it's never going to be a success. So the turtles continue to be a success because all these new entrances, which really grew from Europe, had some different ideas and different philosophies. And that's why the industry as a whole did do well. We can only do well when we do different things. And yet we have this strange thing of, yeah, but if we... Uh, uh, I, I like the discussions with Jerry, for instance. He said, yeah, but what Tonsen is doing is not good. Yes, but it's not. It's good because we do something different than Jerry. And Jerry does something different than we do. And that's why we together can do well. And when investors start to do alike things, which is very strange for an alternative investor to do all the things the same, because, again, we should be non-conventional. But yet we like to embrace conventions. And the turtles is a convention. And they did do well, and the ones that did best were the ones that were constantly evolving and adapting. And that's why Jerry is doing something completely different than Eckert and the other remaining turtles are doing different things as well. Part of them are still doing very well. But that's, so, that's typical something that happens. And yeah. So is it fair to say then, I mean, it sounds like you share a similar philosophy in some respects. Obviously, you know, that... that uh, trend following is at the is at the heart of what you do so there's a there's a common belief that presumably that 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 markets trend over time um for, for various reasons but but equally there's a, a, a different philosophy around is it around would you say it's around execution or or, or risk management or or around the need to be constantly evolving or, or how would you describe that difference it, it, it's, it's somewhat it's, it's somewhat comparable with religions. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Christian, and, and Christianity is about, in fact, it's only about one thing. It's about love. But that's very complicated. So many people make rules. The Ten Commandments and many more rules, and uh, they, they can be, you have to, to wear the same clothes, or you have to go to the church on Sunday, or you have to do a prayer before you eat, or all the, you can make many, many rules. Uh, and the nice thing is, the ones that are essentially the weakest believers are hiding the most behind the rules. And the ones that are uh, less uncertain don't so much about the rule, but know about the principles, the, the philosophy, the idea. The idea with Christianity is love. Well, with trading, it's not about love, but uh, <laughs> it's about something else. But it's not about the love of the rules. Market. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's of course is a type of love and being enthusiastic about it and, and see what's happening and understand that markets are constantly changing and the nice thing about these markets is that they are constantly changing and they are not a constant and the world is changing and markets, changing markets are part of it. And if the world isn't changing anymore, there would be, wouldn't be any trend. So enjoy uh, the ride and enjoy being part of a big change. Uh, but this, this change and, and profiting from it is going against... We have a philosophy, we have a rule, and we stick to the rule. Uh, but you cannot have that same rule. Uh, and of course, all of us changed dramatically. Uh, uh, all all the, the turtle trading was, of course, done on a, on a trading floor with people running to bring the orders in. Now, no one does that anymore, I hope at least, because 
they will be somewhat feeling alone on that exchange floor. Uh, so it's, the world is changing and we adapt and we all should adapt. And, and the ones that dare to deviate the most are the ones that will be ahead in adapting and are the ones ahead in finding new directions. And CTAs were doing well because they were ahead and turtles were ahead. And then there came a new uh, sorts of CTAs, a group of CTAs uh, from, growing from Europe uh, that took some other directions and they were very successful as well. And then we had a, what some people call the CTA winter, let's say the whole 2010s. And, and we are very good in, in, in uh, saying that uh, QE was the excuse or all kinds of other excuses. No, it's not. It's, 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 it's a cheap excuse, but the real excuse is that we too much started to become a sector. And for commercial reasons, that's completely understandable. Because people, you know, most, most investors ultimately don't want something that is different. They want to have a rule the, top down. They, they first allocate to a style and then to a manager. So if you are not a style, you do not get any allocation. Okay, it has to be a style. As soon as it is a style, Investors are afraid for deviation from the style, deviation from the index. The thing that they typically should embrace is the one they are most afraid for. Any investor should say more dispersion is good. Uh, uh, it brings me more diversification, but at the same time, they are afraid for it. Uh, and it, that's, that's a concept. So if you want to sell the most short term, you have to do, make choices that are very good. You have to, uh, people don't want to have non-conventional things because that have to be exp uh, explained. It is scary. In, in essence, most investors want alternative investments to do everything the same as the standard investment managers, but only have the exchange, the, the returns on different moments. Yeah, but that doesn't work. <laughs> the alternative investments come from making different choices. But, but why do you think that that, that that contributed to that kind of tough period? Was it that, you know, I don't follow, how did the kind of evolution that everybody became more similar result in that kind of period, challenging period from a performance perspective? Well, if, if markets, just like nature, require biodiversity. Uh, again, if all the turtles would have, if, if all of us would have done the same as the turtles in the 2001-2002 period, we wouldn't have made that much money. We, you can only have a large size in the market when you are doing different things at different moments. If everyone is buying at the same time, it has a huge market impact. And that's, that has been completely neglected in, in this whole period in the 2010s. I think the, the most extreme example of that has been AQR. They have been making a lot of story with, the, with, with that theory, that, uh, that uh, demystifying managed future story. Uh, somehow in our industry, we don't like uh, criticizing all the managers, but the nice thing with that story is, what they essentially said is, look, all these managers that have been doing trend, um, we can do the same thing with lower costs, and then we will be better than them. That's the story they did, and it was, it was doing very well. And the storyline was, it's just trend, and we can do the same thing. And they didn't do it only with trend. They do, did it the same story with other strategies as well. If they do, do any investment style, they say, it's just the same thing. What they really did, the only really new thing about this, what they were doing, was that they were selling hypothetical returns. And we've always seen hypothetical returns being better than real uh, returns. And instead of saying, well, uh, we are 
uh, is hypothetical. So the only thing that's not hy- hypothetical about it is that it, it is hypothetical returns. No, it's uh, instead they said it's, it's because of the lower costs. What they were completely neglecting, and this directly you can read it in the paper, is market impact. They assumed a world without market impact. Well, in a world without market impact, yes, you can have indefinite number of uh, investors all doing the same thing because it has no impact. But when investors do all the same at the same moment and they assume no market impact, the market impact will be gigantic and there will be no returns and the markets don't function. So we, this whole idea, uh, it, it, you, you could see that it commercially functioned great. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a CTA that has uh, attracted so much funds in so short term as as Equa did with this uh, trend program of them. But they also proved that they were completely wrong, very consistently and very convincingly, because they were doing bad and they underperformed what you can expect when everything is doing the same thing. So what happened in this whole winter, in this CTA winter, all CTAs started to make different choices again. It was the best thing that could happen to the industry. All CTAs made different choices. Winton completely cut away from trend following, uh, but all all of us made different changes. So we became less the same again. And what happens? The dispersion between uh, CTA performances is large again, as it should be. And we have had two great years. And some of us did do very good in this year. And uh, let's say 2022, that's already last year, of course, now. Uh, and others did do very good in 2021. But the whole industry together did do well by doing different things at different moments. And that's just because not all do the same thing again. The story is you have to adapt, you have to change, and you have to make different choices. And that's that's something that we should embrace. Maybe before moving on to the next bit, I mean, could you give us a sense on some of those choices that Transtread have made over the years in terms of that drive to be unconventional and differentiated? Uh, the the largest changes we we have of course over time made the choices that others didn't make. We've always been making a lot of uh, uh, synthetic markets, so not only outright market we trade also a lot of synthetic markets. We have chosen a clear direction in which we are not so much looking at a system applied on one market, but really look at from a portfolio perspective. Diversification is the key element of it. So. Uh, we, we, we constantly start to look at it from a, from a diversification angle instead of from just these few markets. And if you really concentrate on that, you make different choices. Uh, and instead of saying, uh, cut your losses, which is a typical thing that uh, you do when you look at an individual market, on a portfolio level, that, that has, is different. Because if the loss in one market is compensated by a profit in another market, which is coming from the same market move, uh, there's nothing going on. Well, look at last March, for instance, when uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. We, of course, were not pre-informed by Putin that he was going to do something like that. Stupid man, he forgot to call us. But, uh, <laughs> but we had a diversified portfolio. Uh, one of the leading teams in that period was already uh, yield rising. And uh, central banks that were leading by rising their yields, their currencies were stronger. This included the Eastern European currencies. East, so, uh, sorry, uh, not Austria. Uh, uh, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Czechia, Czechia, 
It's not Czechoslovakia anymore. Uh, Czech, Czech Republic. So, uh, <laughs> the Czech Republic, that's what you call it, yes. Um, and of course, when, when uh, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine, uh, these long positions in these currencies were losing uh, largely. But for us, that wasn't a problem at all. Because at the same time, we had long positions in lots of commodity markets and they were uh, growing largely. So we could, as an idiot, trying to get out of these Eastern European currencies by selling them at the moment that everyone wanted to sell them and cut your losses and so on. But if we just look at it at portfolio level and we say, hey, we have a nice diversified portfolio. Something extreme is happening. It leads to profits in some markets and losses in other markets. Great. As a total, we make a profit and there's no reason for us to do something. This is when you look at it from a portfolio level instead of individual market level. And by doing that, we have uh, we can better take advantage of being diversified instead of just trading individual markets. But you have to, your whole operation has to be set up like that. If you have somewhere an, uh, an energy market team and somewhere else a uh, stock market team and somewhere else a currency market team, yeah, the currency market team was, would be thinking in this case, okay, we're losing a lot of money, we should do something. But if it's one program with one team, you are not uh, distracted to that kind of local solving of, of local problems that are no pro- problem for the portfolio as a whole. So that's one of these elements. Uh, look at it from a portfolio perspective. And that's why we're doing all kinds of changes and all, all kinds of choices we make. Now, I, I don't want to get into the sort of the uh, the detailed debate between um, uh, AQR and, and, and your approach, but I do want to bring up something that Cliff Asnes wrote during 2022. And I think I think it is an interesting and I think it is a relevant uh, point because during this period of lower than average returns, which, by the way, could also just be a function of the fact that central banks had it very easy in keeping things stable with fewer trends, etc., etc. There there definitely was this tendency for managers to do more than just trend in their strategy, to compensate for lack of trend return. So I think he wrote a paper that basically argued that maybe we have become too concerned about the sharp ratio and uh, this is not his words this is kind of my memory of it and 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 we add these non-trend um, components but it also means we're kind of losing the the uh, ability to really deliver strong returns when the trends come back and actually in fairness uh, you can say that that particular firm delivered very strong returns when trends came back in in 2022. But more broadly, not just about you know uh, their uh, strategy, but more broadly speaking, uh, what what are your thoughts? What are your observation about this um, temptation we've seen, where perhaps some managers have have gone more to the say call it trend following plus type strategy rather than just core trend. Well, you, you refer to the recent data of managed futures. The storyline in that paper of them is that others in the industry changed and they kept on, sticked on to their strategy. Uh, they didn't change. And that's why they did do well in 2022. The fact is, they have a Morningstar rating on their program. And they were downgraded in 2021 or 2020. And that downgrading was not because of performance. It was for only one reason that Morningstar wrote. Because Equar had changed their program. That's why they got downgraded. 
they forgot to mention this in this article they wrote. Yeah, so but change doesn't more, mean. Uh, but, no, but, so but change is good. Okay. Change is okay. good. So I like I like yeah. change. But then then don't don't write a story in which you kind of tell that others are changing and you didn't because they did as well. And that's good. No, no, but and in, I welcome the change. I would have yeah, I would have liked them ri- ri- writing why what they changed and why that resulted in doing so well in 2022. And also there was excellent trends in 2021 as well and they didn't perform in that year. So it would be more fair to say, look, hey, we make some choices like any CTAs make choices and the ones we make lead to not performing in 2021 and doing very well in 2022 and choices others make lead to different outcomes in different periods. But the, the story in itself is not is not complete there. There's, there's a few things that in that story that I would say that wouldn't pass our uh, compliance uh, department. No, no, but I, I, again, I don't <laughs> want to really make it about them and you. I, I want to make it more broadly about the, the, the industry if, if we can um, because the thing is, I think it all stems deep down from what we believe investors want, right? And um, and investors don't like these periods of uh, no or low or negative performance. And then to make it up in a year like 2022, they obviously prefer steadiness, consistency and all of that stuff, which is very hard to deliver in a trend-following in a pure trend following package, we I think we all know that. So it sounds like you've not deviated from trend. Um, obviously, uh, I work for a firm that that has the same view, but but there certainly has been a tendency in our industry to try and and smooth things out a little bit, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Well, now, what what is much more relevant is what kind of techniques do you use when you're doing your research? Uh, we've had a sustained period in which. Uh, interest rates were low and coming down. And if you do kind all kind of optimization techniques, whether in determining how much to be uh, allocating to which markets or what kind of techniques to use in other way, and you have done that over the years, uh, let's say after 2008, then you will have ended up in, in something that was doing very well as long as the interest rate was coming down and interest rates were low. And when we get then, an, uh, we have really got a few, uh, few uh, uh, changes. Uh, one of them is we, we, there was an, uh, a pandemic that we had not seen for uh, long enough to be out of the testing period for all investment managers. That doesn't only hold for CTAs, it holds for all investment strategies. Uh, all of them that have been done really too much optimization did bad in the pandemic, and it bad, were vulnerable when the interest rates started to rise. If you have a more strategy that is uh, less optimized, and that also holds for the very classical CTAs, uh, even the turtle, uh, the, the, the turtle type of CTAs, they have been doing very well the last few years because there was no uh, optimization to a short-term period in it. And others that have too much optimized uh, will have had the difficulties. That, that has nothing to do again with CTAs. It holds for all investment styles. A quantitative, yeah, uh, uh, but do we call that in English? Um, a pitfall. That's that's the English pitfall. word. Pit, pit, uh, it's, 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 it's a quantitative pitfall. You take a certain history and you optimize based on that, and and you forget that things that haven't happened in that period can hurt the portfolio a lot later on. So I think that that's much more an explanation for what's happening and why ones are doing better and others are not doing better. One of these elements, for instance, is commodities. Um, if you have been optimizing the last few years, the last decades, 
commodities, the performance in commodities markets tended to be less good than in financial markets in bonds and so on. So the CTAs that traded much more interest rates instruments and much less commodities have not been doing good, also not in 2020, even not in 2021. So the CTAs that have uh, zero return in 2021 will most likely not have been trading a lot of uh, commodities, but did trade a lot of uh, interest rate instruments. And those same interest rate instruments did very well in 2022, and that's why they did a lot better this year. Uh, That's the number one explanation there. But why did many CTAs or even... Uh, it's, we often think that CTAs make a choice eh? and then we compare with an index is also what, uh, what I quoted in this paper. They forgot that the consistency of the index is changing. Eh? There was a time that AQR was not in and there was a time that AQR was in. And there was a time that, well, these traditional CTAs that were more the, 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 the turtle type CTAs, let's say, are not in anymore, but were in in the past. So if you say the index is changing, it's not because the managers in the index are doing different things. No, there's different managers in the index with a different style. And which managers are in? The ones that have been getting most funds. Why did they get most funds? The performance was best. Why was the performance best? Well, they did less commodities and more financial markets. So that's why the industry as a whole, without any one of them changing, did more financial markets and less commodities. Th- yeah, that's no, how an index works. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's a good point about the fact that the index really does change in terms of constituents. And why don't you dig into some of the research to topics you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I mean, maybe before, just, just to close out on that, it might be, I mean, I, I think what Arrow was saying, that obviously you could maybe pick some holes in, in the paper, but it did raise that general point about, like, what is the objective for, for CJs and trend program in general? Is it just absolute return or is it absolute return plus crisis alpha to use that expression and or is it absolute return plus crisis alpha plus mitigating drawdowns because harold you're talking about the choices but presumably the choices you make are determined by what your objective is and what you're trying to to achieve with with the portfolio so i mean from your perspective is it are you developing a program in transfer that's purely just focused on absolute return or is it absolute return plus one eye on those two other factors now, yeah, it, it's a little bit linked because uh, one thing what we clearly don't want to bring is an index return. You know, also have CTAs that uh, want to bring the CTA index, which is a stupid thing because there's no CTA index. The, the, the index of CTAs is the average of all the different CTAs. It's like there would be some kind of pet efforts and, and, and you want to become that pet that is uh, doing uh, barking and uh, at the same time uh, uh, catches the mouse and so on. It's, that doesn't work. Uh, so CTAs, there's different animals and they together form an index. The performance of them together is an index. Don't try to bring that index performance, but do well. And if all of us do well, the index is doing well. So that's number one thing. Don't try to bring an index performance, but bring absolute returns, and really absolute returns. If you do that, and if you don't want to fall in the trap by doing the same thing as the other persons or the other investors at the same moment, you have to differentiate somehow, and differentiating can bring returns, and they can also be lower correlated. So looking for absolute returns trying to do so in doing things that others are not doing is aimed at bringing good absolute returns, but very likely leads to non-correlated or low-correlated or at least not linear correlated returns. 
So, and that's what actually exactly we are doing. We never make a choice of say, hey, we want to do this because that will be good for our tracking error or uh, high tracking error or low tracking error or uh, for correlation purposes or whatsoever. No, we do something because we think what's the best thing to do, to invest. Any kind of other limitation you bring in, uh, they sometimes sound well. This is constantly demand for, uh, for, 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 for allocators that want something that is, let's say, uh, we had it also, um, there was demand for... Uh, styles that would be doing well if the uh, if the interest rates would come down and if stocks would be coming down but it should not be standard CTA because it didn't do so so well well we've had now this period of two years that CTAs have been doing very well and I don't think any of these alternative especially designed for that some kind of uh, uh, amendment of, of, of a real program has done better in that respect so it's uh, just concentrate on what you should be concentrating on this is profiting from the, the, the good trends that are there in the market and make sure you do so in a way that that it differentiates. Yeah. You touched on um, some of the pitfalls you mentioned in terms of the research process and that, that example of optimizing a pro uh, program based on maybe the last um, 12, 15 years or so, kind of the, the post-financial crisis era. And and obviously that, that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of one of the things to kind of avoid as part of research process. What what are the other big things that you think, you know, when you're thinking about developing systems or reevaluating systems, how how do you think about that? I mean, how do you avoid overfitting to any particular environment is about just using very long time series or um you know, and and then how do you how do you at the same time balance that with kind of adapting to to kind of change market environments by not being led by computers? Uh, that's when when we started, um, computers were something pretty new, and uh, using computers and using trends uh, because trends was of course without computers was much more difficult. We 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 still had these charts in our office in which we every day they wrote a new. Uh, price added to it and the charts become longer and longer but of course with computers uh, you don't have to do that uh, that can be done much more efficiently and the type of trend techniques being used with computers available of course also has changed then without eh? lines well logical to do when you have no computer available but all kind of uh, moving efforts type of things works much easier with a computer so it's it's logical that it's changed like that uh, but computers were something that was an advantage but computers have become a disadvantage over the year because we have now so much computer time available. In, in, in my little phone, there is more computer time than in the big computer we had in our office in the early 90s. And if you have no clear idea and you test it anyway, you can do over and over testing. Uh, within five minutes, you can do long calculation and, and you very quickly, very quickly end up into some kind of historical optimization thing instead of having a good idea. And later on, you say that you have an idea. When we started, a complete simulation of the things we had in mind took us one week. So uh, there was no room, computer-wise, there was no room for all kinds of historical optimizations. And that has really become a subject over the years because... The storyline, and this is again what the CTA is doing and what they're expected to do. The storyline had becomes had become, and even yeah, we, we also sold it that way, 
It's not people doing it, it's the computers doing it. And so the only thing that people that uh, started to work in this industry were probably thinking, hmm, the only thing we have to do is to use computers. We don't have to use our brains, we just can use computers. We have to, don't have to have a vision about markets, no, uh, no view on markets. No, we can just calculate, optimize. And, and then it becomes completely empty. And the only way to deal with all kinds of situations that you have not seen before is based on uh, yeah, intuition or understanding, real understanding what can happen and be prepared for that. And by having more computers available, the, the, the pitfall is that you don't think you need that, but you still need it. So we have to be more selective over years on people, and especially when they are very good in using computers, you have to be careful, okay, but have you been now doing too much simulations because you have no idea? Uh, and and we, have, we had to become more harsh on that element within our teams also. If someone was doing too many attempts uh, and was proud on having all these attempts, look how fast I can do calculation. We said, well, if you had underst any understanding of what you were doing, you wouldn't need that many attempts. So maybe you're on the wrong position. Uh, and that's that's really something that uh, that has to adapt. And, and and this is, again, where that's that's what I really don't like about presenting hypothetical performances. It's, it's not for nothing. That is something within our industry that's a high level within the C2C rules as well. Um, it has always been easy to do historical his, uh, hypothetical returns, but it has become more easy the last few years. And the, the, the only thing changed over the last 10 years is of, in the last 10 years is that it has now been even more accepted by regulators to do, to present hypothetical returns, which is something we as an industry should not embrace. You mentioned, going back a few moments, the example of the market reaction to the Ukraine uh, breakout of war and how you had these positions in Eastern European currencies that you know you were offside on, but you had gains elsewhere. So it sounded like you made maybe a discretionary decision not to respond. Is that is that correct? Is that is that part of the philosophy? It sounds like it is that kind of human plus computer is better than computer. Uh, absolutely. And we've always used discretionary decision. And there was one very important discretionary decision that we took around at time as well. I forgot to mention one currency. We were trading the Russian ruble as well. And you can imagine that we didn't want to continue that. There was absolutely nothing in our system that said we had to stop trading that market. And that's not fundamentally different than in, let's say, 1998, when in uh, Malaysia, uh, Mahatmi closed the market for external investors so we couldn't trade palm oil anymore. Uh, that's something that always happened in these environments. So this whole idea the computer does it, it's not right. In, in extreme examples, in, in during the credit crisis, yet the, getting the trends was not so difficult, but we were trading these currencies with all kinds of banks, and some of these banks didn't want to accept uh, trade from other banks anymore. So, of course, that was the attention there, and that's not systematic, that is uh, using the, the human uh, skills to, to do well in that environment. So the, the human impact, the human input is much larger and has to be much larger than we like to tell often in our industry, because the story, it's computers, it's absolute, it's truth, was selling better than the reality. And even the people that use it the most, uh, I also like, uh, Jerry also uh, sometimes lost, like to say that he does nothing like that, but then you hear him three sentences say, saying, and, and you hear a lot of choices he made, very good choices. And, and he's doing well because he made these choices <laughs> and, and not his computer doing it 
Why does anyone trade rich markets? It's a personal decision. It's not a computer saying it. So it's it's. Uh, uh, but somehow we we like we, we think uh, maybe it's kind of technical uh, or, or just profiling. But we like to say it's it's nothing to do with computers. Um, we, we we changed it this on these. Um, this is on a standard questionnaire uh, uh, that says how much of your program is discretionary and how much of it is uh, is uh, systematic. And uh, yeah, and we used to say it was 100% systematic. But we found out that we could fill in it's 100% systematic as well as 100% discretionary. And we've changed it into that. This, uh, if only because there is no system that we use that we have not discretionary determined we were going to use it. Well, on on that theme, um, sort of, sort of, one of the things that I guess it's been in our industry for a while, uh, there's been a few uh, futile attempts. You referred to something earlier, and without focusing on one specific firm, um, because there has been many firms doing the same thing, they were starting to say, well, trend is easy, so we're just going to charge you 1% flat fee. That's their decision. That's a business decision, right? But on top of that, in 2022, there was tremendous growth, actually, in CTA replication ETF, in particular in one uh, CTA replication CTA, um, or ETF, sorry. And so I wanted to ask you kind of broadly, I think I know already where you're going in terms of um, whether you like or dislike uh, replicating CTA strategies, but but feel free to talk a little bit about that. But I want to, if you think there is a risk in in that, could you talk a little bit about some of the weaknesses that you might uh, see in CTA replication strategies? Okay, there's two. Um, I think one of of them I, I read their story was they trade only once a week. I think every Friday or something. It's Monday. If you actually, really believe, you need to. Oh, it's, it's Monday. Okay, it's Monday. <laughs> well, they 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 didn't trade this week. That changes everything, right? They they didn't change trade this week because this Monday only European markets were open. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to wait till the US markets for uh, next Monday. Uh, same for Asia, except for Korea. That was open as well on Monday. Uh, it's uh, now. Uh, the the when you're managing really a large size, you cannot do that much in so little time without having a huge impact. So if a few CTAs do so, uh, and and if the each of them use a different day, uh, okay, the impact is not too large. But as soon as more do it, it doesn't function. So that that's one element. As soon as you do it and become sizable, you cannot just trade on one day. Uh, it's impossible to do really sizable positions. Yeah, if you if you want to have an, an 100 million CTA, okay, but not if you want to are growing to the size that uh, this is of course also what what really hit a quad. They were managing way too much with a style that, uh, by assuming no impact, and of course they had an impact. Uh, you cannot trade without impact because the markets would not be moving without impact. Uh, the the uh, market impact by participants trading is the only market impact that makes markets move. Um, so denying this impact is yeah very stupid. So this is one element. Second element. The storyline is that investors want just the CTA return, so the index, and don't want the deviation around it, which essentially means that you're bringing down 
the diversification possibilities for an allocator. Isn't it great if you have different CTAs that both are doing well in a kind of environment, but are low correlated? So we have more diversification. So this idea of doing the index is the passive approach, but if you want to do an alternative investment, you want to have a broad space of alternative investments that are different. And the more different they are, the more they offer to your portfolio. So for the end allocator, and most certainly if it's a large allocator, you, ju- you don't want that. You should want that. You want diversification. So you want things to choose from. You, you should enjoy that different CTAs are doing well. I, I understand that, but I think that the argument they have, and I have some th- sympathy for, for the argument, and that is that many investors don't know which CTA to pick or which three CTAs to pick, and so they just want the overall exposure because let's, let's you know, yeah, I agree with you that, di- that the dispersion of returns have, have come back uh, to some point, but you could also say to some extent that many trend followers over time deliver the same returns, but not necessarily at the same time. So, yeah, but okay. So, so I, yeah, yeah. If if this, if if they do deliver the same t- return over time, then it doesn't matter which one you choose. Then it doesn't matter which one to choose. Yeah. So no. So so it's it's this idea that you want to be get close to an index, and in every every time when people wanting to have a low tracking error to whatever is is a risk for some. That's not a real market risk. Which means that the ones that don't want that risk are paying a risk premium that is available for free for those that uh, don't care about it and get that risk premium. I think in investment, the only way of making returns in investment ultimately is receiving a risk premium. And if you want to avoid certain risks, which are not real risks, in this case, tracking error is not a real risk, then you're paying a risk premium for that. As simple as it is. So fundamentally, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, of course, Transcend is so big that you're in all of these indices that are now being replicated, of course. Um, so, uh, you know, that's also an interesting uh, point that that there is a lot of concentration. I mean, I, I, th- I agree with you that a lot of people just want the index. We've been taught now that passive investment is better than active and all of that stuff. That's where the money flows. So I can kind of understand why people say, oh yeah, well, let's just do something quote-unquote passive in the CTA space as well. And I know you passive said- Passive is not good. You- I'm completely, no, completely <laughs> can passive being good. Passive is bad. Yes, and in no, I know. everything I know. in our society, passive is bad. I, I think maybe the, 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 the only point thing is that, that people the, think if uh, yeah. I was going to say I think maybe the point is people want greater certainty of getting the re, the return series of managed futures and trend following, and they don't be want to be an outlier. Yeah, so, right? so, so, they don't so they want to minimize the risk of being the in the outliers. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, so, so, so that, yeah. I think that's that's the behind the philosophy. Yeah, yeah. but maybe they, they should realize that that costs the money because. Uh, you you want if you want to be there where things are happening, you need the outliers. Our world doesn't function without outliers. We need people that are doing make different choices. And if you want are an investor and you have enough money to diversify about different things, choose the potential outliers and don't choose the the ones that are making no choice at all. Now, one thing where you could say that having a 
uh, exposure to many things. So, so just like we talked before, trend replication or CTA replication, you get exposure to quote unquote many managers in one index. Um, another area of, of our industry that seems to be embracing uh, having exposure to many things is, of course, when it comes to the number of markets we trade. And um, and there, I think you're in agreement with uh, many people we've had on the show that trading more markets is better. Now, I've also been saying, uh, and I'm on record for saying, that when I look at the industry returns... If I compare those managers that I know well that trades maybe 50, 60 markets compared to those who trade 200, 300 markets, I really don't see the difference in overall returns. Maybe the returns are different year by year, but overall, long term, they're not really that different because you're going to have to trade smaller and you have many markets and, and so on and so forth. What's your, and you don't have to spend sort of too much time, but kind of what's your um, overall kind of pros and cons with 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 this um, uh, fewer liquid markets but not too few of course i mean so either 50 60 of the liquid classic market or going much much broader because i think when you and i spoke a few years ago i seem to remember that you had been on a journey where you really expanded uh, into a number a lot of markets but at the time and this was when we sat down in miami uh, with katie kaminsky i think you said at the time um, that you had contracted the number of markets a little bit yeah yeah we have we have because um the the philosophy the more markets the better is not right and one of the reasons why it became slower and system becomes slower is if you have too many markets that are somehow correlated you end up the portfolio as a whole quickly becomes very slow in adapting picking up new trends and so on and this this is one of the consequences of something that happened over the last decades that Let's say when, when the credit crisis happened in fixed income, traders in fixed income and stock markets were completely different. It, that's why there was a year before, um, one and a half year between the moment that it hit the, the, the interest rates uh, and the moment it hit the stock markets. Um, that's not thinkable nowadays. Markets are too much connected now. So what's something happening in one market has an impact on other markets. Also, if it's a nonsense impact, it has an impact. It immediately does. Which means that the way uh, correlation works changes also the way how diversification works is different. So in the past, when these different markets were really doing different, uh, having these different markets in one portfolio automatically went right. Uh, later on, we had to make some more choices to make sure that we really are in different trends, but there can be different trends. Um, diversification is at the source of what we are doing. That's what we are aiming for. Other trend followers can let's say, the stop and reverse type of trend follows, in essence, a different strategy. And for them, it can be wise to trade just a lower number of the larger markets because you can adapt them easier. For us, it's having maximal diversification is what we are aiming for, in which we don't need to adapt that quick. And that's also that we, why we can hold positions in markets that are less liquid. Uh, but in essence, it's another strategy. Uh, diversification is our main thing that we are focusing up in, instead of being able to stop and reverse. Uh, so I think it's also dependent on the style, what effect it has. And uh, yes, we did bring it down because the old way didn't do anymore. Uh, we had to adapt a new way of getting invested in different trends. So we now are looking at different trends and try to trade these different trends. But a trend can be, uh, for instance, which stocks are the most uh, yield rise sensitive? We have short positions in those, short positions in those. That's one group of stocks. That, that's all kinds of stocks in there. That's our trend. 
And if we want to add to it, we sell some of those. And if we want to uh, size down that position, we buy some of those. And we can choose which one to buy or which ones to sell. That's looking at it from a trend perspective instead of from a market perspective. We are not looking at what is Disney doing. No, we are talking about this trend of which Disney is a part. But Amazon is a part as well. Tesla is part of it. And so it's one trend. And that's the way we are looking at it. And then you can trade these different markets, but you do not need more markets than really needed to get positioned in these different trends. Yeah. So maybe maybe related to this and to the topic of kind of risk management, you're kind of touching on how you go about deciding certain markets to trade and certain markets to exclude. Um, and you took, you know, you mentioned obviously excluding the uh, Russian ruble, taking that out of the portfolio for, for obvious reasons. I mean, what other factors would, dri- would drive that kind of decision? Like I'm thinking about things like say the JGB, where obviously the Bank of Japan have been very active intervening. Is that something? And then kind of more generally liquidity concerns in, in individual markets. You say because you're a bit slower, that, that maybe is, is less a concern. Um, what I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk that maybe the liquidity in some markets is becoming less consistent, you know, concerns around treasury markets, stuff like that. Well, you know, taking that forward-looking perspective that you have, what what would prompt you to exit certain markets um, on a kind of liquidity concern basis? And, and can I, before you, answer, before you answer, Harold, can I throw in one more, which is actually a very current example, and that's the recent price cap in Dutch net gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. The, uh, I, I will give you... Uh, Reliability of the market is for us is part of the very important elements. So uh, when we are talking Turkey, for instance, we all know that uh, the, the central bank is not in lead there, but the president is in lead there. Then you have to question whether or not do we trust if money is standing there. Why did we stop trading Russia? Of course, the reliability uh, came down and we didn't want to be positioned in Russian markets anymore. LME, we stopped trading LME completely. We have been trading it for more than 30 years. This exchange completely proved to be completely unreliable. They have to make changes and we will not trade there anymore if they are not making these necessary changes. Currently, they do not make these changes because the moment they make a change, that will be the point where a law case is going to hit them. So the changes they should make are not being made. So that, that's an reliability is very, very important. Um, you talked about politicians intervening or central banks intervening. Yeah, but uh, look, uh, uh, the Fed does some things now and then also. Uh, and <laughs> all central banks do. Uh, emission rights. Yes, uh, when, when the price of power gets too high in Europe, then uh, all of a sudden there is more uh, emission li- rights available. Uh, political they were somewhere in a closet hidden. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's part of our world. Politicians are part of our world, just like the weather is and other factors that are determining trends. And uh, we have to type of read them. But if, if it leads to some kind of unreliability as uh, that uh, we saw in Russia now and we've seen in, uh, in the past in some other countries as well, that can be a reason to get away from it or an exchange that becomes unreliable. Um, the, the, we trade futures because we do not want counterparty risk. That's the essence. Uh, the, the counterparty risk is, is a great system. Um, uh, that's why when the Hunt brothers were in the silver markets in the 80s, uh, yes, they made a mess about it, but everyone at the other side of the trade had no problem with it. Uh, we've had uh, many of we have had this uh, the Norwegian trader in energy markets a few years ago. 
Hernan Aas or something he was called. Uh, big mess for uh, those markets, uh, but he, he, he came down, but no problem. Uh, when uh, our friend in, um, from Bering was trading in the, the Nikkei on, uh, on Singapore exchange, uh, uh, no problem for anyone on the other side of the trade. That's what we like. When that element is going away, uh, when, when this, this whole idea of counterparty risk, all of a sudden, if someone doesn't like his position and... Uh, Gets the, uh, grabs the, the exchange at, uh, at his neck, uh, uh, that's, some, that's wrong. That's fundamentally wrong. So that's something we don't want. So that, that's where we get out, uh, as we've done with LME. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about capacity, and, and it's kind of tied a little bit to fees. So, so here's my uh, observations during uh, the year. Well, first of all, we kind of know that usually returns suffer when uh, strategies become too big. So, you know, I'd love to hear your thought about, generally speaking, a diversified trend-following uh, strategy. You mentioned uh, another firm that you felt became too big. Uh, where are you thinking in terms of your own strategy when when, when, it, when you think of stopping uh, taking in more money? Um, but also fees, because... Uh, what what I've observed is that a lot of money flowed into the big names from pension funds, and when it was when it came in during the quote unquote CTA winter, uh, some of these pension funds were able to um, negotiate very low fees because, as as we've talked about before, oh, it's just trend; it's so easy, right? Okay, now now the trends are coming back, and people are realizing, oh, it's not great only to make one percent flat fee when you could make fifteen percent in a performance fee, for example. I have seen some evidence that uh, some of this money is being handed back to these uh, uh, low fee mandates so that you free up some capacity. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that as well. And I have no idea, of course, what your investor base looked like. So I, I'm just thinking out loud here. Okay, well, we have to realize that this is absolutely a capacity constraint strategy. We discussed about it. Uh, it becomes even more capacity constraint if you're doing more the same as other CTAs. If if 10 CTAs do exactly the same thing, uh, it's one. So And then the capacity constraint is even much larger. So that's also one important reason for this, this embracing dispersion because it also is necessary to do well. All of us can do well if you do more different things at different moments. So that's one element there. Um, the uh, it, during the CTA uh, winter, our uh, amount on the management has been coming down as well. So that in that sense, uh, it helped uh, from a capacity point of view. We will not bring down fees to attract more money because that doesn't fit with having a capacity constraint strategy. So that is this idea uh, offering more and you can know. We know it's capacity constraint. We are aware of that. That means that if we want to do our best, we, we think it's, it's worth paying for it. Uh, and we can only do that by doing it this way. If we would, let's say, uh, and that is what we often forget, if we would allow an unlimited amount of other investors in for low money, you could say, well, it's the luck for that, those investors. No, but it's also a negative impact for the existing investors because uh, the impact on the, on the execution will be on their side as well. Looking at what it means, we've seen over the last years that uh, this, this tendency of the idea, this spreading idea that uh, liquidity is available for free 
has a certain impact on markets, which means that if you are not aware of it, uh, you very quickly become very expensive. So the, uh, in that sense, if you don't adapt for it, uh, the, the performance of CTAs becomes even more capacity constrained than it used to be because of all this much more passive money in markets. We have really changed uh, the way we do our business, the way we execute, the way we look at trading in the sense that it's not the computer says something and traders do it. No, we determine under what conditions we will be willing to buy and under what conditions we will be willing to sell. By doing that, uh, we are much more a liquidity provider instead of a liquidity premium payer. So that's a very crucial element of uh, what we are doing, the choices we make. And that, that choice made us, we, we believe that the capacity of our program at this moment is larger than it has been in the past when we did manage above 10 billion. Uh, now we are way below that, but our capacity of the program is larger than it was at that moment because of all the changes we made by being much more trading at different moments and, and being uh, much more trading in a way that it's in itself less capacity uh, limited. Okay, no, that's very, uh, very interesting. Um, you already touched a little bit on liquidity, Alan, so I don't know if I would just jump into the next one and just ask you, because this is a big subject, so I don't necessarily want to go uh, into too much depth. However, uh, ESG uh, is something that um, I know, you, I think you've written about it, but also it's something that we all get confronted with, even though uh, it's sometimes hard to um, fully uh, embrace it uh, as a concept that is uh, very relevant for for uh, our strategy, maybe for us as businesses, but but our strategy, et cetera, et cetera. And, and personally, to be completely open about it, I've had my own thoughts uh, about, say, Chinese markets, right, where I think it's very hard to argue that ESG is, uh, uh, is, is being uh, lived up to uh, in that market yet, there has been certainly, uh, and I, again, I, I don't know if you do it, uh, but there has been uh, certainly a movement towards embracing Chinese futures markets, which probably did quite well for some managers in 2020 or 2021, I can't remember now. But to me, there's this a little bit of a tension between ESG and, and the market. So uh, what's your view on this? Um, I'm sure you've um, heard okay. this question uh, ESG, before. I, 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 I see that the ESG is... It's become a very strange thing. Um, in in the European Union, there's even make some rules in which saying that you do ESG becomes a compliance issue because you have to ex explain on what kinds of ways you're doing it. Uh, so we have to say we do not do ESG, otherwise we have some uh, compliance issue. But saying we are not doing ESG is at the same time complete nonsense. E is for environment. What's the number one factor that determines prices of agricultural commodities? Too much rain, no rain at all, and so on. Uh, that's a typical environmental issue. Why have the uh, energy pricing been rising so much in 2021 uh, Europe? No wind, too much rain, no rain. Number one reason for rising energy prices. Even if we would say we only look at prices, then we know that we are long in energy markets because of an environmental issue. So we are trading ESG. Yeah, it's, it's, it must become very, very difficult for a trend-following CTA to not be ESG because that means that all market moves you see, you have to see, oh, 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 this is an environmental move. Uh, the, we do not want to participate in that, so we take that one out. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible. So, yes, we are in there, and we should be in there because what is essentially about is change. 
And when we are in a big change, for instance, we are in a big change is energy transition, less fossil. Uh, anyone saying that he does not invest in fossil or doesn't want to invest fossil is um, uh, yeah, uh, living in a, in a fairy tale because uh, we are fossil until deep into our veins. Um, uh, we use plastic everything and, and uh, we, we cannot travel on a plane or whatsoever without using fossils. And I myself have uh, uh, sun panels on my roof, but I know they were produced by using a lot of uh, fossil. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, we are completely fossil in everything. But is a change going on to become less dependent on fossil. And that gives huge uh, risks for everyone involved. Uh, the, 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 if you look at energy, uh, the, the metal markets, uh, when, when cars move from become less diesel to more gasoline, you needed less platinum and more palladium. And then it become electric and then you need more copper. So this, has, this is one of the leading trends in, in metal markets. Um, see, futures contracts are not there to invest in copper or to invest in a firm or to invest in wheat. They are there to carry the price risks in these things. We, we don't buy wheat. No, we are carrying the price risk on wheat. We are carrying the price risk on oil. We are carrying the price risk on a weapon producing form, firm or whatsoever. We are carrying the price risk. That's the only thing we do. We have no, we have no impact in, in the sense that we have no control. We cannot say, hey, okay, this, this, this hawk is peeing too much, so we let him pee less. No, that's something we cannot do. When you're holding a long position in hawks, we only carry the price risk of that. And when there is change going on, like necessary changes, which is many of these ESG things require a lot of changes in society, this brings huge risks. Futures contracts are ideal for transferring the risk. Returns come from carrying risk and getting a premium for it. And then you have to trade all these markets that are especially in the center of this whole change. So you have to change coal, you have to change oil, you have to change metal contracts, you have to change all these firms that has to make big changes because that is where the risk has to be carried. So participating in that change is something we do. But we will not call it ESG. We just call it responsible investing. <laughs> let's let's leave it at that because I know Alan still has a little topic he wants to uh, dive into before we start to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, just one broad topic is I guess maybe stepping away and looking at this from, from the allocator's perspective. So obviously you're the clients and investors that are coming to you um, how would you say to them to think about expected returns? Um, is it just based on the, the historical performance or is there any way that people can say on a forward-looking basis you should expect a certain level of performance or a certain level of sharp or, or what in, in terms of the types of strategies that you run? If you, you mean this question not related to ESG, is it? No, totally unrelated to ESG, just in no, general. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, internally, we, we, we just try to control our risk. That is what we do. And the, 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 the return is, is the upside that uh, we like to see. But we are not, we are never a kind to uh, uh, predict an upside. Uh, we hope long term to see an upside. But, 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 but if, say, if, I'm, if I'm an allocator and I'm looking at, traditional investments, you know, long-only bond and equities, credit, I'm looking at other hedge funds, I'm looking at um, private markets, etc. And I'm trying to feed all of this into some kind of asset allocation framework. And they're thinking, well, I, I, I understand trend following and I like the kind of properties and the, and the return profile. But I say on a forward-looking basis, five-year basis, I need to have some kind of sense on what the return profile might be. So I, I understand what you're saying, that you, you control the risk and you take the return. But from an allocation perspective, 
how, how, do you, how, how, how would you guide somebody? If you do a long investment in the stock market, you could say, well, historically, the stocks have been rising so much percent, so they will do it again. Uh, but that's com- a complete nonsense prediction. So, well, it, but I mean, say with equities, you can look at the equity yields, or with bonds, you can look at the bond yield. Obviously, with trading markets, you have no kind of intrinsic value to hang hang your hat no, on. No, but uh, uh, no, but uh, let's say the, the way currency markets or uh, stock markets are traded, you have no intrinsic value. Also, uh, that is linked to the performance that you see from year to year. Um, so this this is, I, I would not give any indication of what you can expect in in absolute return type of views you can only tell in what kind of environments you probably can make money in what kind of environments you probably not make money and how that uh, return will be correlated with other type of investments and 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 so uh, we we all know what kind of uh, uh, investment types are sensitive to uh, if if, uh, uh, the the, the interest rates would rise further Uh, we all know that uh, if stock markets come down Many investors are losing money on them, so it's it's nice it's, if there are some investments that are different from that. And C, uh, our CTA program is one of them that is different from that. So, in terms of the role in a multi-asset portfolio, it's an absolute return portfolio diversifier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that's it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. You, and you take what the market that's gives it. you. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just one follow-up question. I mean. As people have increasingly kind of used trend following within that, you know, as 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 a diversifier, and even for some people in terms of portfolio protection, even to go that far, you know, there's been a suggestion maybe would trend following be better if you didn't have so much equity exposure? And there might be a suggestion you'd be better off capping your equity beta. Have you come across that argument? And and what are you, what are your thoughts on that? I've I've heard that argument. And, and 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 as a matter of fact, if last year we wouldn't have traded any equity markets, we would have done better. Um, but but, <laughs> but that's not a very bad, uh, not a very good um, proof of it. The, uh, let's say this whole idea that stocks would be one area and completely not related to the other markets is of course wrong already. Uh, what happens in stocks and what happens in bonds is very related. So if you then would say, I don't want stocks, then you should not be wanting bonds either. But then many of things that are happening in, in, in commodity markets are linked to that as well. So better do it all and be aware that the way of investing, being long, short, uh, finding different trends, uh, how to work them together, is what we are really after. And by bringing down uh, the uh, the area of markets that we are trading, we do not do well to the diversification within our strategy. And since diversification is one of the main things for us to be carrying risk, yeah, is, uh, I think diversification is the only uh, uh, thing that is available for free. Checking out these markets is not a very wise thing, I believe. Yeah. Well, uh, let me just wrap up uh, with the last couple of questions, Harold. We've taken uh, up uh, lots of your time and uh, it's a Friday afternoon here in Europe. So we definitely want to make sure that we get you home in time. Now, this is just like a little fun one, I think. um, But nevertheless, I'm curious about your answer. And that is, you know, what's the one thing you hear about trend following that you disagree with the most? What what are the things you people say about trend following? They say, yeah, no, that's completely wrong. Oh, that, that whole idea that it's just a factor. That's wrong. Okay. As it is already. It's, it's not a factor. 
<laughs> nice and short. Okay, finally, final, final question. Um, since we're recording just in the first week of January 2023, um, what are you most excited about for the year? Um, and what are you most concerned about? And feel free to go. I mean, it doesn't have to be specifically about trend following. I mean, it could be anything, really. Nah, of course, we hope that the situation here, uh, not so far away from our border, uh, Ukraine, Russia, is going to be solved in uh, not too much time. And uh, that is something coming out that will be giving more stability over time. Uh, I think that's one of the, the most important areas. And then, of course, um, let's hope that now this whole COVID thing is uh, really passing away. Uh, China is still a big issue. Um, many people dying there. That's... Uh, not something to be welcomed. Uh, so let's hope that this is now uh, really moving in a good way. This is the, the, the last area in which the, f- the faculties are, uh, what is it called? The, yeah, the victims are there. Okay, no, fair enough. Excellent. On that note, let's wrap up this fascinating conversation. Hell, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast and for sharing your thoughts and insights with us. We hope that we can do this again sometime in the future. And to all of you listening today, I hope you were able to take something from today's conversation onto your own investment journey. And if you did, please share these episodes with your friends and colleagues. From Alan and me, thanks so much for listening. We look forward to being back with you in the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged as we continue our deep dive into the CTA industry. And in the meantime, go check out the show notes for this episode and all other resources that you can find on our website. And not least, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.